We're the Denver Broncos cheerleaders, and you're listening to Sports Crunch with DCROM. This is Sports Crunch with D-Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. Joined as always by my right-hand man, Hal Bent, the full press coverage. It seems just like yesterday, we were preparing for week one of this wild 2022 NFL season. And now the horses are rounding the final turn into the top of the final stretch with just five weeks to go. And the race to the playoffs and Super Bowl 57 only got more muddled in week 13, especially in the AFC and it is very hard to find a clear favorite in that conference. But in the NFC, the Eagles just might have one less threat to worry about and a clear path to the big game. Yet, there are absolutely no certainties as to how this playoff picture will end up, and we could have some major surprises on our hands come January, can we, Hal? We certainly can, and, you know, we talk about it feels like it was just week one, Man, it does. And don't go back and listen to what I made for predictions before this season. Please, please. Oh, my goodness. What a great and, you know, exciting season it's been with so many uh, different players and different teams setting up. That's just why we love the NFL so much. It's always got a surprise for us. And this last quarter of the season, oh, man, I am so excited. We are going to have so much fun down the stretch here. We most certainly are. Let's start the fun by recapping week 13, starting with your biggest lesson learned from week 13. Hal? Well, you know, the easy and lazy way might just be to say, you know, uh, don't give up on Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady yet. That that might be the uh, one way to go. But But for me, my lesson learned, man, you know, we talked about Philadelphia, one fatal flaw for the Eagles, and you've already brought them up. And you know, that was their run defense. And then they go and they hold Derrick Henry to 30 yards rushing and demolish Tennessee. I mean, Jordan Davis is going to be coming off injured reserve in the next week or two as well. I mean, I think he just did, actually. I think, I think he, he just did. I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So you're right. Exactly. So he was, he was all queued up and ready to go. And here he comes. So what's the weakness in Philadelphia? I, I'm running out of arrows to shoot at this team right now. And that's my lesson learned. They went in. Tennessee is not a weak defense, a bad team. Um, and they just punched them in the face. And Dallas Goddard probably going to be back for the playoffs too. Oh, my. I mean, th this team, um, number one with a bullet, pencil them in the Super Bowl. That's my lesson learned. Oh, that is not quite bold but i am not quite ready to crown the eagles as nfc champs yet i just have to see it happen first but you bring up a good point it's very difficult to find a weakness on that eagles team as of right now and the biggest lesson i learned from week 13 bucks head coach todd bowles oh my god he is so lucky that he was bailed out by another Tom Brady game winning drive and some horrendous decisions by Mark Ingram and the Saints coaching staff on Monday night because in key parts of that game, he was coaching scared. And I mean scared. Oh my goodness. Fourth and seven at the start of the fourth quarter, instead of going for it, 
You put it to the Saints, even though the Saints had absolutely crammed the ball down your throat for several possessions prior. Oh, my goodness. Talk about the antithesis of Bruce Arians. Todd Bowles was playing not to lose and not playing to win. Todd Bowles, you have to have another major meeting with your mentor, Bruce Arians, in that Bucks front office and just develop an inner Bruce Arians because if you do not have a no risk it, no biscuit mentality come playoff time, you guys ain't have a chance at another Super Bowl. And that is my biggest lesson learned for week 13. And now on to our go to the week. Yes, you could give it to Tom Brady. You could give it to Joe Burrow. You could give it to Jalen Hurts. But there's something about revenge that made week 13 extra special and that's why I have two honors to share go to the week for this week. Obviously, A.J. Brown. He had this game circled and he played like it against his former team, the Titans, who traded him away on draft night. He torched them for eight receptions, 119 yards, and two touchdowns. And talk about an unreal play sequence. He made an unreal catch, albeit with a foot out of bounds in the end zone. So the touchdown was waved off. But on the next play, he just burns Christian Fulton for a 40-yard touchdown, a touchdown of the same distance. Oh, my God. That's son of the day. And Malik Hooker in of the Eagles' biggest rivals, the Cowboys, facing the team that drafted him into the NFL, the Colts. He had an interception. And a fumble return for a touchdown. It was the weekend of revenge in the NFL. And A.J. Brown and Malik Cooker were the reasons why. Who was your goat of the week, Hal? Uh, my goat, hey, I got to give it to Geno Smith. What a performance this oh, week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Big, big game. Over 350 yards passing, three touchdowns, and most importantly, leading that come-from-behind drive in the fourth quarter with less than three minutes to play. Uh, standout performance. Anyone who still has any doubts about Geno Smith, yeah. he answered them emphatically last week. So he is my go-to the week. He's got the Seahawks back on that winning track. Oh, he most certainly does. And the most amazingly about Gino's performance last Sunday was he had no running game because Kenneth Walker the third got hurt. He had to do it almost all by himself in an uncharacteristic uh, performance, dare I say, because the Seahawks are usually a balanced offense between the run and the pass. Yeah, he did. a. I mean, handicapped like that with on offense, he stepped up and he got the balls to those two big play receivers they have. And hey, you know, he looked like, uh, you know, Russell Wilson used to look. <laughs> Coincidence, maybe. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, Indeed. Yeah. And what about your dunce of the week for week 13, Hal? Well, I, uh, in the spirit of sharing the titles, um, it hurts me to do this because I'm such a big fan of them. But, but Brian Dable, Riverboat, Ron Rivera, uh, what was going on in overtime? Come on, guys. I mean, uh, tie game. Hunting the ball in overtime, not going for it on fourth down. Uh, you know, uh, it, it was just a terrible, terrible performance by both coaches. They both got the tie. Uh, you know, all I can do is hope that this tie knocks one of these teams out of the playoffs, if not both, because it was abysmal. Uh, you play to win the game, as we say here, mm -hmm. all the time. And both 
coaches were playing not to lose in overtime. And that's how you end up with a terrible tie. Third and 10, and you, you call a running play. Come on, Ron Rivera. You're the gambler. I don't care that you're inside your own 20. Try to win that game. Uh, terrible performance on both sides. So those are my dunces of the week. Not a bad choice whatsoever, Hal. And for my duds of the week, I'm going up to the front office with Saints general manager, Mickey Loomis. Granted, the Broncos probably outdid the Saints by uh, trading for a declining Russell Wilson and giving up all those picks and that big contract to him. But the Broncos absolutely had no idea that Russell Wilson would, would have fallen off a cliff this fast. The Saints, on the other hand, not just got a bad result from their offseason trades, it was a bad process too. Surrendering your 2023 first round pick to the Eagles just so you could get more ammo to go up and get Chris Olave, who's been a stud, don't get me wrong, but thinking that you had a shot at the Super Bowl with Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston at a, a roster that is aging, what was Mickey Loomis thinking? And now there is a real chance that that pick they sent to the Eagles is a top five pick. Mickey Loomis, you just, you just screwed up. And you got to thank George Payton for screwed up even more than you because if it wasn't for that, we would have vilified you all season long and not just this week. Because uh, you just made one of the dumbest decisions in franchise history, and you are my dunce of the week, Mickey Loomis. And now let's go to Tennessee, where on Tuesday, there was some rather surprising news. After more than seven seasons, the Titans fired GM John Robinson. Although we don't quite know the full details yet, it was further reported by Aaron Wilson of Pro Football Network that head coach Mike Vrabel is expected to have significant power going forward, regardless of who the new full-time GM is. Thus, this was likely due to a power struggle between Vrabel and Robinson, and Vrabel apparently prevailed because he was not on board with trading A.J. Brown, and thus A.J. Brown's performance on Sunday could have been the final straw for John Robinson. And as much benefit of the doubt as Mike Vrabel has earned as a coach, and uh, we talk about him all the time, he's clearly a top five head coach in this league as of right now. But do you think it is a mistake by the Titans to give him more say in roster decisions? It's a tough one, David. I got to say it is a tough one because on one hand, we are talking about Mike Vrabel and he has that uh, pedigree. He's put that experience down. If anybody's earned the right to get a larger role, I can't think of anybody better than Mike Vrabel. But at the same time, you know, I mean, just look at Houston with Billy O'Brien and that power struggles that they had there. And O'Brien won, but he ended up losing because of winning that power struggle and not having that, um, you know, general man, having that hand-picked general manager, having that, you know, uh, front office basically at his beck and command uh, led him to being fired only a few years later. So it's a delicate balancing act there. Um, you know, very shocking news. You know, I, I, I'm sitting here and going, you know, the first thing I thought of was Isaiah Wilson, <laughs> that first round pick, um, you know, that's finally coming back and biting him. But, you know, they had some great drafts there. Uh, they, won a lot of games in Tennessee. So it's very interesting to see how this plays out here. But yeah, I it, it's a it's a double-edged sword here for Mike Vrabel going forward, definitely. 
Oh, you should solve the sapotic alert there, my friend. Beep, 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 beep. I like it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I have no idea what's going to transpire in Tennessee. And Mike Vrabel is a guy that has earned the benefit of the doubt. But the Titans have to be very careful here. Uh, there was a case to get rid of John Robinson. Don't get me wrong. He uh, uh, obviously blew the A.J. Brown uh, contract situation. And uh, it wasn't just Isaiah Wilson that was a bad draft pick in the first round. Uh, he picked Corey Davis and Adore Jackson, the first round two players that haven't turned out to be stars necessarily at the NFL level. He drafted Caleb Farley last year, who has chronic back issues. And uh, he overpaid for Bud Dupree uh, in free agency. And Bud Dupree still can't stay healthy either. So uh, John Robinson wasn't as good as a GM as people thought. But the Titans uh, and that ownership group, uh, they have to be very careful. Like if they might have to pick a GM that Rabel doesn't necessarily like at first. So you uh, make him a little more humble going forward. Exactly. Exactly. Get somebody in there that he can bounce some ideas and push back against them because sometimes total control is the worst thing if you're surrounded by yes men and nobody points out that, you know, that time yeah. that you're wrong. So big uh, point there. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the Titans just might have found their uh, next GM in a VP of player personnel, Ryan Cowden, who was promoted to interim GM. And he interviewed for several GM jobs last year. And if he's a guy that can tell Mike Vrabel no uh, from time to time, then I think uh, uh, Amy Adams Strunk and uh, her people uh, should uh, promote him to that full time gig. Great, great point there, David. Definitely, yeah, a little continuity there and a little pushback on Vrabel, and you've got a, a decent situation there going forward. Hopefully that works out uh, for Tennessee in the long run because that's a talented team with a great coach and should be in position to be a contender for the next few years. I couldn't agree more. And as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, the NFL playoff picture experienced yet another major shakeup in Week 13. And in the NFC, nowhere was that shakeup more apparent in San Francisco, as Jimmy Garoppolo suffered a foot injury that will more likely than not end his season, even though surgery will not be required. And on Monday, the 49ers had potential help as the Panthers released Baker Mayfield on waivers. Yet the 49ers didn't even submit a claim for him as they are apparently comfortable with rookie Brock Purdy, the Mr. Irrelevant of the 2022 NFL Draft, under center for the remainder of the season. Do you think it was a mistake for the 49ers not to submit a claim for Baker Mayfield, even though they would have lost the bid? I don't think so. I, I think if they had made that, I think they really thought that was their only chance of him getting through unclaimed through the waiver process where they could sign him. I think if they indicated any interest at all and made the bid, somebody like the Rams uh, would, would jump in there and would have grabbed him anyways. So I think they were trying to be a little coy, really hoping he'd go through unclaimed and then they could re-sign him. I really hope it's not a situation where, uh, you know, the, the idea was just to, we'll only take him if he's unclaimed so that we save a couple hundred thousand dollars this year, because boy, that's cutting off your nose to spite your face for sure. And hopefully that's not their thinking. But I, I think that what they were just trying to be a little bit coy and uh, try to get the, you know, that was their only hope of him getting to them, I think is how they felt. 
Oh, very, very, very good point there, Hal. And I will also uh, say this. So what on Baker Mayfield's take would have convinced the 49ers that he was a far better upgrade to, to Brock Purdy uh, based on this season? I don't think much. No, and that's it. You know, I mean, really, you look at it and you're saying, well, you know, at least Purdy was there um, when the offense was put in in the preseason. He's been there with the team in all the meetings all year. Yes, Mayfield has some experience in this system, no doubt about it. Yes, he was a number one overall pick. But, you know, this year, even go back to last year, you know, that tape has not been pretty for Baker Mayfield. And there's no guarantee that he would have stepped in and performed any better than Brock, Brock Purdy. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And as we all know, Baker Mayfield was indeed claimed by the Rams. And even though the main reason why the Rams did so has not been reported by a prominent insider yet, we may have our answer courtesy of former NFL offensive lineman Ross Tucker. On his renowned podcast, Tucker suggested that Matthew Stafford who is out for the remainder of the season due to a bruised spinal cord, may have played his final snap of football unless he undergoes serious, and I mean serious, neck surgery. Tucker's career ended because of the exact same injury back in 2008. Do you feel that the Rams know that there is a real possibility Matthew Stafford will retire at the end of the season? Yeah, I, I think they have to plan for that it's you know neck injury any nfl player very very serious and look look at matthew stafford's situation he's got his super bowl ring uh there's no guarantee this team's going to put him back into contention next year if he comes back um if he has to rehab if he has to put his livelihood uh on the line in order to return to football so yeah, I mean, that's a, a potential risk for your future mobility uh, when you're start talking about neck injuries. And Stafford, let's face it, he spent a decade in Detroit getting beat up consistently. So there comes a time when, you know, you're going to draw that line and say, I'm not a young buck anymore. I don't want to go through all of this again. I'm just done right now. And for the Rams, hey, the sooner that you can start planning for that, the better and you know if i'm baker mayfield is there a better place to land than sean mcveigh if you're going to try to resuscitate your career <laughs> hard to pick a better spot than that maybe kyle shanahan that's about <laughs> it but uh Oops. you know i don't think baker's complaining too much where he landed in uh los angeles so yeah i i think it's a win-win on both sides for them and Definitely, even if Matthew Stafford does come back, um, you know, no guarantee that he's going to stay injury free as well. So uh, for the Rams, getting Baker in, being able to get a look at him this year, huge, huge win for them. Yes, and I personally think it would be best for Matthew Stafford to call it quits personally because uh, that uh, neck injury and if he comes back to play football and he re-injures it again, that could have devastating consequences later in life. Exactly. Future life, future mobility, you have to calculate that. And hey, he's made a ton of money in the NFL already. There's, you know, he's not going to be destitute if he retires here and passes up a year or two of earnings. 
I completely agree. And now it's time to play our favorite game on this program, Truth or Exaggeration. You know how this game works. I make a statement, and your job is to let me know whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm exaggerating and why. And we start in Buffalo, where yesterday it was revealed during an exploratory surgery that Von Miller did, in fact, suffer ACL damage and will be out for the remainder of the 2022 season. So, truth or exaggeration? With Von Miller out for the season, the Bills will finish as the third playoff seed in the AFC or worse. I'm going to say that's an exaggeration. There's still way too much talent on both sides of the ball. And even with Josh Allen scuffling a little, they're still one of the two best teams in the AFC. They are at worst the number two seed. Uh, you know, maybe need a little luck and upset for Kansas City to go down to get that number one seed, but they're going to be right there and they should be favorites for the AFC championship game. Now, without Von Miller, favorites for the Super Bowl, not so sure about that because I think he was brought in for a big deal. Uh, a big reason was to uh, deal with Mr. Patrick Mahomes, and that's not going to happen. So, um, But they should still be right there and right in contention and uh, see what happens then. But I'm going to say it's an exaggeration. I still think they're the best or second best team in the AFC. There definitely is a case for that, but there may be another team sneaking up behind them at the moment. And I'm obviously talking about those Cincinnati Bengals who beat Patch Mahomes and the Chiefs yet again last week. So truth or exaggeration, the Bengals are an even more dangerous team now than they were late last year. Oh, you know, I think they're just as dangerous. I'm only going to say it's an exaggeration because last year was totally out of left field, snuck up on everybody. And this year, uh, you know, everybody sees them coming. They're the team, uh, one of those teams with that target on them, like Buffalo, like Kansas City. Um, so, yeah, that, nobody's sleeping on Cincinnati this year. So I'll say a little bit of an exaggeration, but they are just as dangerous as they were with that potent offense that they have. Let me tell you why I think they're even more dangerous. Their improved offensive line. And uh, these numbers from Pro Football Focus via Joe Goodberry, who covers the Bengals. Uh, the, the Bengals' average uh, pass block rate the last six games is 68.2. Compare that to the first six games of the season, it was 54.5. Their average run block rate in the last six games, 68.9. Compare that to the average run block rate in their first six games, 54.5. This offensive line is legit. It is improved. And that's why it makes the Bengals more dangerous because Joe Burrow and his exceptional uh, vision and speedy decision-making, uh, it's even more lethal behind a better offensive line. And it was plenty lethal behind a trash offensive line last year. And that's why I personally think the Bengals are going to be even scarier this playoff season. And now we stay in the AFC North by going to Baltimore, where Lamar Jackson suffered a PCL sprain during Sunday's win over the Broncos. And that injury could take up to three weeks to fully heal. So truth or exaggeration, 
If Lamar Jackson misses these next three games, the Ravens will not make the playoffs. You know, that should be an exaggeration, but man, with the Ravens the last couple of years, I gotta go with the truth. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the AFC, that middle of the pack, there are a lot of teams right there. Baltimore, uh, you've got Cincinnati breathing down your back. You've got Pittsburgh starting to win some games now. We've got the entire AFC East to worry about. And you still have the Chargers and the Raiders out west who are capable of ripping off three or four straight wins. So I hate to say it, Baltimore, but yeah, I got to go with the truth here. I don't blame you for uh, making that a truth there, Hal. Let's hope uh, for the Ravens' sake that they can prove you wrong. And now on to the NFC East, where the Eagles and Cowboys will, not possibly, not probably, will, Meet again in the playoffs, perhaps in the NFC Championship. Truth or exaggeration? You know, I I thought I had bought in on the Vikings, but I got to go with the truth here, David. I got to go with the truth. I'm sorry, Vikings. Sorry, Minnesota. Oh, I don't. No, the Cowboys and the Eagles are the two best teams in the NFC. It's a truth. Yes. Uh, do you think they meet again in the playoffs? Definitely. The NFC Championship? Definitely. However, the seeding breaks down where those two show up against each other, it's going to happen. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a heck of a game, too. I can't wait. Oh, and it's going to be a hell of a game when the Eagles and Cowboys meet in week 16 for crying out loud. Heck, it could be for the division that week. That's going to be a crazy Christmas Eve, that game. Let me tell you, I won't be putting out any stockings until that one's over. Uh, neither will I. And the main headline coming out of uh, Dallas this week has been their courtship of a certain free agent wide receiver, Odell Beckham Jr. But that said, Ed Warder of ESPN, who is Dallas-based, reported that the Cowboys are very concerned that Odell Beckham Jr. is not going to be able to play before mid-January. And we have to consider this factor. Odell Beckham Jr., he's a guy that's torn his ACL twice in like a, a six to nine month span. That is unheard of. And he may never be the same again. He may well be past his prime. So truth or exaggeration, the Cowboys don't even need Odell Beckham Jr. to reach the NFC Championship or Super Bowl 57. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it's a truth. You've got CeeDee Lamb. You've got Michael Gallup get healthy, getting back on track here. Uh, Noah Brown certainly has developed chemistry. So uh, Dalton Schultz as well at tight end. So. Yeah, I mean, if, OB, if OBJ isn't going to be there until the last game or two of the season, I don't know how much of an impact he's really going to have there. So, yeah, I got to go with the truth here for Dallas. Got to go with the truth. I think they're, uh, as constructed, ready to make that run. I agree as well. I think Odell Beckham Jr. is just mere gravy at this point in his career. And going on to your Patriots where Mac Jones seemed pissed off uh, last Thursday night with the uh, play calling. 
So truth or exaggeration, Matt Patricia will not be the Patriots offensive coordinator in 2023. Uh, David, I got to go with the truth here. Hey, look, Bill, nobody likes to think outside of the box and experiment and try different things more than Bill Belichick. And he'll experiment. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. He's not afraid to fail. And this is a failed experiment. So, yes, I'm going to say a truth. Uh, not going to see him, Matt Patricia, back as offensive coordinator again. And, and can I tell you who my fingers are crossed and who my dark horse candidate is for offensive coordinator for the Patriots next year, David? Who is it? All right. Ole Miss co-offensive coordinator Charlie Weiss Jr. Whoa, his he dad was an, coached in New England. That makes yes, sense. Yes, his dad, longtime offensive coordinator. He was actually an intern and assistant to Brian Dable Woo! with the Patriots <laughs> as well. He's coached in Alabama as well. He's with the Kiffin as well. He's got all kinds of experience everywhere in this offensive system. Bright rising star uh, in the offensive coaching ranks in college. I have my fingers crossed. Keep it in the family, Bill. Charlie Weiss Jr., that's who I want next year. Oh, that would be a very, very good choice for uh, Bill Belichick to further the development of Mac Jones, which has uh, definitely regressed without Josh McDaniels uh, this season. And on to one of Mac Jones's 2021 quarterback draft classmates, Justin Fields who played the best game of his career as a passer in week 13. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, David, is it best game of his career as a passer in the NFL? Or are we including college here? Because In I, the that, NFL. Okay, because I was going to say, that Sugar Bowl against Clemson, I don't think there's a, what was that, like six touchdowns, <laughs> almost 400 yards? There's no top <laughs> of that one. That was the game where I was like, that's the guy right there. This is no doubts about him. So if I, all right, if, if I'm throwing out the sugar bowl, then I'm going to say, yes, it's a truth. Best game in his NFL career as a passer. Uh, yeah. Why was it so Hal? I mean, he, he did it all. I mean, he, the threat of the run, the long game, the short game, he was in rhythm. He looked like a pocket passing quarterback last week and that is what we have i have been waiting to see for so long uh from justin field so yes he can do it with his legs yes he can do it with his arm as well and putting those two together dangerous 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 and you can see why the bears got him indeed and i will add a little bit to this game Justin Fields will experience a similar leap in development in his third NFL season as Josh Allen did in his third Ooh. NFL season. Truth or exaggeration? Oh, I, you know, yes, please make it a truth. I'm going to say truth because I believe it. I want to see it. Woo! I think I thought coming out of the draft, he was the second best quarterback just behind Trevor Lawrence, and I mean just behind him, and I think he's ready to validate that now. Oh, I share your optimism, Hal. Uh, just wait until the Bears spend 
$100 million in salary cap space. So upgrading that wide receiver group, upgrading that offensive line even more. Justin Fields is going to take off even more like a rocket next season than he did this season. I completely agree. It's going to be a very, very, very fun march for Bears fans. And last but not least for truth or exaggeration this week, the Las Vegas Raiders, they have quietly won three consecutive games. And look at their remaining schedule. This week, they play the Rams. Next week, they host the Patriots. The following week, they travel to Pittsburgh to play the Steelers. And then they conclude the season with two straight home games against the 49ers and the Chiefs. But that said, it's very possible the Chiefs have the division and the number one seed sewn up by week 18. And the 49ers could have the division sewn up by week 17. So truth or exaggeration, the Raiders will win out and secure the AFC's final wildcard spot. This team is capable of being 10-7. and seven. I wouldn't be surprised. But, you know, you could tell me, uh, there's just as good a chance that they finish six and 11 and lose four out of these five games as well. Um, I don't see them winning out uh, San Francisco at Pittsburgh. Mm, that those are some tough games there. Uh, you know, Kansas city may be resting starters in week 18, but a chance to knock out Vegas uh, interdivisional, that's going to be a nasty game as well. So and you know what? I I still not buying that Vegas defense yet. Just not there yet on that defense. Get a team off the field on third down consistently, and I'll believe you can run the table. But until then, I got to go with an exaggeration. I don't fault you there, Hal. Like I said, it's very tough to predict how this playoff picture is going to end up. But I have the Raiders as a sneaky wild card surprise uh dare i say i'm not saying they will make the wild card but if you're looking for a surprise look no further than the raiders given the way they're playing right now and speaking of the raiders let's pick these week 14 nfl games starting tonight where the raiders travel to la to take on the rams baker mayfield may be starting this game because john wolford might not be able to play but whoever is in a quarterback for the rams they're going to have no cooper cup they're going to play behind a shoddy offensive line going up against Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. And uh, they're going to have no Aaron Donald either to stop Josh Jacobs. Raiders in an easy, convincing 27 to 10 win. Yeah, maybe a little bit closer than that, David. But, you know, maybe a garbage touchdown for the Rams at the end. And uh, I, I just don't want to make it Baker Mayfield to go out there and win the game. And then we start seeing all these commercials with him again. I've had enough of those. So uh, let me give it to Vegas 27 to 18 over the Rams. And on Sunday in the Motor City, the Lions host the Vikings. Lions coming off a win over the Jaguars. They are still alive in the playoff hunt at five and seven. The Vikings with another close win over the Jets last week to go to 10 and two. The Lions should have beaten the Vikings last time in Minnesota this year. They just found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. But I 
feel that the Lions are going to get revenge this time. They're a, a wiser team now than they were at the beginning of the year. And the Vikings are overdue for another loss. They just keep winning all of these close games. They are overdue for a close loss. I like the Lions in this game. Do I hear a simpatico alert, Hal? You do, David. You hear it <laughs> indeed. Let me talk about Minnesota. I, I'm going to throw four numbers at you. 486, 458, 409, 486. That's total yards of offense allowed by this defense. And now you've got Detroit with one of the most dynamic offenses. I'm going to say Detroit with a big W and a lot of points on the board. I've got it Detroit 48. Minnesota 37. And how does Detroit almost get 50? Well, that's got to be my bold prediction. Oh, I love it. And uh, that Lions offense is uh, humming in large part due to creative offensive coordinator Ben Johnson. And he is a name to watch as the NFL head coaching uh, hirings uh, begin in January. He is going to be a hot candidate. And do not be surprised if he gets a head coaching job in just a few weeks time and we go to orchard park new york where the bills host the jets and the bills they may have lost von miller for the season but i thought they played their best game in quite a while last thursday against your patriots hell and uh granted i think the spread in this game is a little too big for my taste i think the jets covered the uh nine and a half ten point spread but I just do not see the Bills making the same mistakes uh, this week as they did against the, the Jets the last time they met. I like the Bills in this game 27-20. to 20. Yeah, the Bills should be able to take this game, should win it at home. Um, boy, I don't know. I mean, the Jets aren't going to be handicapped by Zach Wilson this time, so maybe there's a chance. Is this an upset special? Yeah, it is. Why the heck not? Jets 30, Bills 27, in overtime. Mike White, let's do it again. Oh, <laughs> uh, hell, uh, you going with the Jets as an upset special two weeks in a row. I love it. And uh, Mike White's been balling, dare I say. And we go to Cincinnati, where the Bengals, fresh off an amazing win over the Chiefs, host the Browns in the Battle of Ohio, part two for 2022. The Browns have won five consecutive games over the Bengals dating back to 2020. And I was initially concerned that this would be a letdown game for the Bengals after that win over the Chiefs last week. However, I think the Bengals have it on their bulletin board that they lost five straight against uh, the Browns. And Deshaun Watson looked absolutely atrocious last week against a very bad Texans defense. The Browns special teams and the Browns defense completely bailed him out. And I don't think Deshaun Watson is going to be that much improved this week to get a win over Joe Burrow. I think the game is going to be pretty close because it's a division game, but I think the Bengals take it 24 to 21. David, my score is Sound that simpatico <laughs> alert within a point. I've got it Cincinnati 24, Cleveland 22. Yeah, I don't know what I watched in that game against the Texan for the Browns. Punt returns, fumble returns, interception returns, and, you know, 
absolutely zero offense going on there. I don't think it's going to be enough. It's nice to see the Cleveland defense and special teams stepping up, but uh, a lot tougher against Cincinnati this week than the lowly Texans and Kyle Allen. The Ravens traveled to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers, and I smell an old-fashioned Ravens Steelers low-scoring defensive slugfest here. Uh, Kenny Pickett's been playing some pretty damn good football as of late, but that Ravens defense uh, is going to do everything they can to uh, force him into a mistake here or there. And uh, Tyler Huntley, uh, yes, he can move, he could run, but he is a massive downgrade from Lamar Jackson. It is going to be very ugly, but I trust that Ravens defense to come up with some turnovers and force Kenny Pickett in some mistakes. And Tyler Huntley, uh, as much of a downgrade as he is from Lamar Jackson, he could still get the job done. And I still see him getting the job done just enough against the Steelers. In a battle of field goals, give me the Ravens 12-9. to And I'm picking the Steelers, and I think they're going to be a little bit, uh, score a few more points than we expect. Baltimore, you know, this isn't the Denver offense you're going up against this week here, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they gave up four touchdowns to Trevor Lawrence the week prior to that. Um, you know, this isn't Denver. This isn't Carolina. You, you've got a real offense here now in Pittsburgh. Uh, you've got some uh, picket to pickings, which I love to see there. So uh, I'm going to give it to Pittsburgh in a bit of a blowout, 24 to 10 over Baltimore. Trevor Lords of the Jaguars travel to Music City to take on the Titans. And uh, the Titans, uh, they're coming off uh, two losses in a row. Uh, one against the Bengals last week against the Eagles, but I think they get back on track this week, especially against a uh, Jacksonville Jaguars team led by a Trevor Lawrence that is not 100%. Their defense should be able to uh, get the job done there, and uh, I think Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry should have no problem uh, putting up points against a very inconsistent Jaguars defense. I like the Titans to get back on track. Yeah, that Titans defense plays like a young defense, and uh, I expect Tennessee to run right over them as well. I've got it a pretty easy win for uh, Tennessee, but Jacksonville making a little late run. Some Trevor Lawrence heroics makes it look a little closer, but Tennessee 25, Jacksonville 20. And the Houston Texans, whether it's Kyle Allen or Davis Mills, a quarterback, it makes no difference to the Battle of Texas as they travel to Jerry World in Arlington to take on the Cowboys. This is the easiest pick of the week. Well, almost the easiest pick of the week because there's one other game that is pretty much as easy to pick. But this is my lock of the week. No contest. Cowboys, a complete team, absolutely rolls over the most talented team in the NFL, 35 to 10. You know, the hardest part for me, David, was picking, is this going to be a 54 to 19 win for Dallas, like last <laughs> week against Indianapolis? Or is it going to be 40 to 3, like against Minnesota a couple weeks ago? And I said, Houston, they can't score 19 points. It ain't going to happen. It's got to be 40 to three. So Dallas 40, Houston three, lock it in. And the New York football giants who need a win, and I mean need a win to get back on track and to solidify their place in the playoff picture, host the Eagles this week at MetLife Stadium. And as much as I still love Brian Dable, 
I am not betting against those Eagles. Those Eagles, as you said, they have little to no weaknesses on that team. And uh, the Giants are reeling right now. And I think they're going to continue to reel after that overtime loss to the Commanders. It's going to be close for about maybe three quarters with the Eagles pull away in the end. Give me the Eagles 27-17 over the Giants. Yeah, I, Giants can't get Saquon Barkley going early. This game is over early, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. Uh, Philadelphia 35, Giants 16. And if the Texans losing to the Cowboys wasn't my lock of the week, this would be my lock of the week. The Chiefs at the Broncos. Thank God the NFL flexed this game out of Sunday Night Football. Even as a Broncos fan, I would have turned that game off before it started if they kept in that time slot. Thank you, football gods. Uh, no contest. Chiefs, 56. Broncos, 10. How did the Chiefs get 56? Stay tuned for bold predictions. Oh. <laughs> hey, I still believe in that Denver defense, and it's an interdivisional <laughs> game. I, I, I give Denver no chance of winning, but at least I'll give them a chance of keeping it close. I'll say Kansas City 20, Denver 13. And the team that absolutely fleeced the Broncos, the Seahawks host the Carolina Panthers. I love the way Steve Wilkes has been coaching this Panthers team. As we said last week, he's making a powerful case to have that interim tag removed off this title and become the full-time head coach down in Carolina. I like the Seahawks to win this game, but I think the Panthers do their darndest to keep it close. Seahawks 24, Panthers 21. Yeah, I mean, Carolina does not have the horses on offense. It's just, ugh, I don't see it happening here. So I've got to go Seahawks uh, pulling away, making an easy win at the end, 33 to 13 over Carolina. And the Bucks and Tom Brady, fresh off another epic Tom Brady fourth quarter comeback, traveled to San Francisco to take on the 49ers. And this game is kind of like a battle between my heart and my head. My brain looks at that depleted Bucks offensive line minus Tristan Wirfs, minus Ryan Jensen, minus Sally Marpet, and it says they don't have a shot against this 49ers front four. But my heart says, after last week, never bet against Tom Brady at this point in the season. My heart won out. I'm going with the Bucks. It's not easy to pick against Tom Brady. I feel like an idiot doing it. And, you know, hopefully he'll prove me wrong. But I just don't think, even with Brock Purdy, uh, San Francisco's offense is going to be slowed down. And their defense is just too much for Tampa. I've got it. San Francisco 27, Tampa 20. And on Sunday Night Football in L.A., a battle between two of the 2020 NFL Draft quarterbacks as Tua Tungavoiloa and the Dolphins face Justin Herbert and the Chargers. And the Chargers, dare I say, are an even bigger disappointment this season than the Broncos are. I had far higher expectations for the Chargers. I expected the Chargers to win the division this year. I even thought that they would be in the AFC Championship with a shot at the Super Bowl. But it looks like they aren't going to sniff that because it part due to injuries, 
but an even greater part due to a coaching staff that has no clue how talented their team is and how to utilize that talent. Like Joe Lombardi, this is a Deacon Doug offense with Justin Herbert. Are you fucking kidding me? You are robbing Justin Herbert from what he does best. It is just humiliating to watch week in and week out. It's just so sad. I just do not trust this Chargers coaching staff. Give me the Dolphins. It's two a time, David. I hear you. And like I said, uh, Chargers going to Charger. I'm not picking against them. And I, I think they're one in three since I said that. I'm not picking for uh, the Chargers the rest of the season. I can't do it. I have no faith in that coaching staff and the ability to put that team in a winning position. I'll take Miami putting up some points on the Chargers, 34 to 24. And uh, meanwhile, let's hope and pray that the Chargers are preparing an offer for the Saints to get Sean Payton's contract. Sean Payton is the guy they need, and they need him not in 2024. They need him now, don't they, Hal? Exactly. The sooner, the better. Yes. Uh, Sean Payton just heard it. It might pain me as a Broncos fan, but that is a match made in heaven. Too good to be true. Chargers have got to make it happen if they want to win multiple Super Bowls with Justin Herbert. They just do. And on Monday night in the desert, your New England Patriots play the Arizona Cardinals. And uh, the Patriots uh, have been inconsistent this year. But who do you trust? Bill Belichick or Cliff Kingsbury? Bill Belichick all the way. I like the Patriots in this game. And it's uh, not going to be that close. Patriots 23, Cardinals 10. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots offense, dysfunctional is definitely the word that fits. But man, this Arizona defense, terrible is the word that fits there. So, uh, you know, a bad defense can make a bad offense look really good. And the Patriots defense should be enough to keep the Cardinals inconsistent offense in check. I've got to give it to the Patriots in an ugly Monday night game. Uh, let's make it 24 to 21. Oh, and let me also add the Cardinals have an amazing athlete uh, on their offense that still hasn't quite learned how to play quarterback there, I say. <laughs> and Bill Belichick will definitely confuse the hell out of him. Exactly. I can see it happening, David. Agreed. And now on to our week 14 bowl predictions. Hal, you have the Lions scoring 48. How do they do so? Well, 48, they, 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 do my math. That's six times seven. We're looking at six touchdowns. Why not have them all come from the arm of the surprisingly consistent and playing very well, Jared Goff? Why not put up some great numbers versus Jacksonville? 340 yards, two touchdowns. Let's up the game a little bit here. 75% completion rate, over 400 yards. Let's make it 425. Heck, let's make it 450 and six touchdown passes against that reeling Minnesota pass defense. Lions, Jared Goff, keep it rolling. Uh, that prediction is pretty bold, but not quite as bold as mine, given how bad the Vikings defense is. The Chiefs are going to score 56 points on my Broncos this Sunday, thanks to five Pat Mahomes touchdown passes in the first half alone. Oh. 
a pick six and not one, but two special teams touchdowns. One, a punt return for a touchdown and the other, a blocked field goal return for a touchdown. And let's add insult to injury. The blocked field goal return is going to be at a field goal of just 25 yards. (laughs) Going to be the most embarrassing day of the season for the Broncos on Sunday. And that's saying something because this whole season has been an absolute embarrassment. And last but not least, let's do our challenge flags. I'll go first. My challenge flag goes to 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy, who's now Mr. Relevant. He's no longer Mr. Irrelevant. Brock Purdy, you did a dang good job coming in for Jimmy G out Sunday against the Dolphins. You kept the offense on schedule. You got the ball to the playmakers, allowing them to make plays after the catch. And above all, you did not turn the ball over in key situations. Just do what you did last weekend against the Dolphins. Save for that one interception, and you will be fine. That is my challenge flag. What about yours, Hal? You know, I I keep saying the Bills' second-best team behind Kansas City. uh, And then I went and picked the Jets against you. So, Sean McDermott and the Bills, hey, prove me wrong. You've got the Jets this week. You've got Miami next week. You can get Josh Allen. He looked to be getting back on track last week. Um, Yes, it's not like where he had four out of the six first games of the season here, passing over 300 yards, and one of those that he didn't was 297. Just one in his last six games has he reached 300 yards. So get him back on track. Take out the Jets. Take out the Dolphins. You've got the AFC East all but locked up at that point. Root for Kansas City to be upset. There's my challenge flag. Sean McDermott, prove me wrong. Beat the Jets. Take the AFC in these next two weeks. That's my challenge flag. He is Hal Bent, ladies and gentlemen, of full press coverage. You can follow him on Twitter at HalBent01. Hal, thank you so much again. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back next week to recap week 14 preview week 15 and discuss all the latest news and notes from around the national football league so stay tuned meanwhile be sure to follow me on twitter at dcrom59 as well as on instagram and tiktok at sports crunch with dcrom and remember that's crunch with ak for hell bet this is david cromwell and as always choose love choose kindness choose compassion choose selflessness and choose empathy which are some of the core characteristics of the best teammates and teams until next time cats and kittens Stay cool.